to take the plunge. This is a life changer. It suddenly feels death defying. Speaking of death and defying, you know what would happen if something tragic happened today? What? Like if the shoe didn't deploy. What are you talking about? A malfunction, Joe. Like, let's say I pass out before the shoe doesn't deploy. I knew what would happen to me when I hit the dirt. What about you? The Earth is coming! The ground's coming for all of us, Joe. We're hurling from heaven to Earth! That's exactly what Jesus did, Joe. When do you deploy the shoes? When you decide that life after death is a viable conversation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Joe. Joe. Oh, you're praying. Okay. Awesome. Woo! We have a habit of messing things up when we do things our own way, don't we? Now, you can get a lot of response from that kind of evangelistic, you know, if somebody's about to die, you'll probably get some sort of reaction out of them, I suppose. But we mess things up big time when we do things on our own strength, by our own volition, and in our own way. In a lot of areas, God gives us the way we need to be moving forward, and in all areas, that includes surrender and submission to Him, right? But for some reason, even as His followers, we have a way of saying, yeah, but I got this time. I got it this time. I, I, I can do this. I, I can do this. I can work harder. I can pray harder. I can do the things I need to do. I've got this. And man, can we really mess it up when we've got it, huh? Has anybody here ever messed things up when they had it under control? Okay, so some of you don't value honesty. Um, we all do, right? We all do. We all mess things up when we try to do things on our own. Uh, we're, we're seeing this in this series in Genesis, how quickly mankind can really mess up something that was really good, right? Uh, we started off talking about creation, and God created the earth, and it was very good. His creation was very good, and then the fall of man, Adam and Eve, sinning, thinking that they knew better, that they could, they could kind of circumvent what God had said, and they could, they could do it better on their own, and they messed that up. And then they have sin enter in, into the world. And then you have Cain and Abel in that story. And, and last week we talked about Noah and the flood. And why did this thing happen? It was because we messed stuff up all the time. And we really messed stuff up when we decide to do things on our own. Um, we're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 11 today. And we're going to be looking at another time where we as mankind have messed stuff up trying to do things on our own. You know, Genesis, this, 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 uh, the book that we're reading through and, and um, studying over these next couple of months, and we've been in for about a month or so now, um, it's really, it's kind of divided into two divisions. You have chapters 1 through 11, and then chapters 12 through 50. 1 through 11, this division, it provides an overview of what God um, uh, has done in the world he has created. It reviews the creation of the world and the beginning of nations. Um, and, 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 12 through 50, this division gives us an overview of God and his chosen people. It's a specific nation through which he has chosen 
to save the world and redeem the world. Um, and, and we're going to get into that in just a second here. Uh, well, next week will be, no, two weeks will be in chapter 12 and on. Next week, again, we'll have uh, David Murrow here taking a, taking a break from our series, talking about um, uh, drowning in screen time. By the way, nothing to do with my sermon, but uh, just so you know, men, on that Saturday morning breakfast, it's going to be a different topic than uh, the drowning in screen time. He also wrote a book years ago called Why Men Hate Going to Church. And uh, so Saturday morning, he's going to be talking about that um, and kind of masculinity within uh, the church. So uh, come on out if you haven't already made a plan to do so. And bring a friend, bring a friend. Well, let's pray, and we're going to be jumping into uh, Babel in Genesis 11. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, this report of what you're doing on the other side of the world through, through one of our own. And uh, it's, so, it's so cool that very regularly, it seems, we have missionaries that are part of this church family and part of this body that you're using all over this earth for, for the good of those people who are there, they are there to reach and for your glory. And we thank you for that, God. And uh, God, I just pray as we are going through your word and, and today in Genesis chapter 11, that your spirit will speak in and through me, God, and that you will use this text and this this morning to help us all take a step closer to you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they, have all one, they all have one language, and this is, this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and, and there confuse their language so that they may, not, so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off uh, building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, uh, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So we, what do we have going on in this text here? Uh, uh, we have Noah's family, uh, all spoke one language, by the way. So obviously at this point, there's one language that is be, being spoken um, for mankind. So that's kind of where we're at as we come into this text. Uh, the people apparently have a genuine concern that they're going to be dispersed, that they're not going to be able to remain together and work together and be unified in that way. And uh, so this is why they decided to come together where they did to build a city and to build a tower. Uh, I also want you to notice some of the plural language that God uses here. Uh, let us go. It sounds very much like Genesis 1, 26, 28. Let us make man in our image. It's very similar uh, uh, language. Now I want you to imagine this utopian kind of society where everyone gets along and everyone works together. It really doesn't sound like it'd be real, does it? Because we already know what ha man has inside of him and how quickly we can mess things up. But imagine for a moment you have this utopian society, you're coming together, they're building this city, they're building this tower. It sounds fantastic, doesn't it? 
It sounds like it would be a really good thing. So why then would God eradicate it? Doesn't He want people to be united? Doesn't He want mankind to achieve great things? Why would He disperse these people? Isn't God full of grace? Isn't He full of truth? Isn't He full of love? Doesn't He want us to be united? We're going to answer some of these questions today in this text. First of all, the Bible tells us this, that we have been here before. As we get to this story in Babel, it's not the first time we, we hear something that sounds very familiar. There's nothing new under the sun is what the Bible teaches us, right? We have been here before. Listen again to Genesis 11, uh, verse number 4. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Did you notice whose name they were most interested in uh, making uh, important? Let us make a name for ourselves. You see, the building of Babel is the same mistake that Adam and Eve made in the garden. They thought they could live life without God and become as like, just like God. So this Babel project is the same mistake that Adam and Eve make in Genesis 3, 1-7. Listen to this again as a review. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may, not, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Look, being like God. These people in Babel, they were, they were trying to do the same thing. Making a name for themselves to be like God. They believe the same lie that Adam and Eve had believed. And they're making the same mistake that Adam and Eve had made. Much like Eve believed there was a right way without God, the people in Babel believed that there was a right way without God and that they needed to be the center of the story. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God, right? To be like a God. The people in Babel wanted the same thing. The Bible makes it very clear. Pride comes before the... This is a matter of pride. Selfish ambition. The Bible also teaches us there's, that all sins really come from one of three places. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. This is the pride of life category. That they wanted to make a name for themselves. That they could do life without God. That they didn't need Him in their lives. These are descendants of Noah. These are descendants of Noah. Should they not know what God is capable of? Should they not know the miracles that God has already done? That they were, they were alive because of God's mercy through their father Noah. But let me ask you this, as a follower of Jesus Christ today, in what ways do we make the same mistakes? It's easy to read through the Old Testament and just kind of nod our head and say, whoa, those people back then, they were messed up. But if we get real and if we get quiet and we get a mirror in front of us, we realize something. There is nothing new under the sun. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, they are still with us. We still battle them. And we still make the same mistakes. So what are some of the ways that you have made the same mistake that our ancestors had made? I think we need to reflect on this question. Because there's much to be learned. 
Also, God's dispersal of mankind, by the way, I believe was an act of grace, not allowing us to do life without walking with him and depending on him. This dispersal, this confusion of language was an act of grace that God had done. Worldly success, not always, but worldly success can be a barrier to knowing and following God. What happens if those people in Babel would have succeeded? They built their city, their utopian uh, society. They would have gone through their lives not recognizing their need for God. And that would have been tragic. That would have been tragic. Sometimes the best things that can happen to us, followers of Jesus, is falling on our face and recognizing we can't do it on our own. Recognizing that we aren't God, we'll never be God, but we have a God that we need to serve and submit to and surrender to. That's what we need. That's what we need. But in for order for us to do this, we, we, like the people in Babel, needed to learn, we need to learn this. We need to stop trying to control everything. Now, some of you need to hear this, so I'm going to say it again. Stop trying to control everything. If you succeed in controlling everything, you're going to mess everything up. Stop trying to control everything. You know, my son Isaiah and I, my youngest, he's uh, 14. He's, he's big time into horses, as some of you know. Last night, uh, uh, we were at the Quarter Horse Congress in Columbus. This is my first experience this past week going there. He actually uh, uh, rode there the, earlier in the week, which was kind of neat. But uh, we went to something called freestyle reining. Anybody familiar? So it's just like um, me and two others. Okay. So freestyle reining is basically the, well, reining is like this pattern you do with a horse. They, you, you train this horse to be super responsive to cues. Uh, these are some incredible athletic animals. Uh, they do things like the sliding stop, if you've seen that, where they run really as fast as they can, and then they put their brakes on, drop their rear end, and slide across the arena. Pretty cool. They do these tight spins where they stand and kind of pivot on their inside back leg and spin a few times, and then they reverse order. Um, they do something like called a flying lead change, which I'm not even going to try to explain <laughs> without a video. So, uh, but there's all this stuff, and it has to do with control that the rider has uh, over the horse and the training that the horse has had. But one of the things that was really cool, the freestyle, it's kind of like there's almost like a skit that goes along with it with the freestyle. It's a, it's, a lot, uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. But a couple of the riders last night did some things that were, I thought, absolutely incredible. They, they rode their horse and then had somebody else release a horse that wa wasn't being ridden by anybody, and they were controlling the horse without having anything attached to it. So the horse that they were on, they had the other horse, some, in some cases, kind of mirror, mirroring what they were doing on the horse. And it was incredible, like running across the, the, uh, um, uh, the arena and then stopping, and then the horse with nobody on it was doing the same thing. In one case, they divided the arena in half, and it looked like a mirror with one horse with a rider, and then a horse without a rider or anything attached to it, going back and forth, doing exactly the same thing that the other horse was doing. And it's just exercising this incredible control that they have over the animal. And it was, it, was, it was really cool and neat to watch. But here's the thing, guys. God isn't a horse. We don't get to control him. But why do we always try to do it? You say, oh, no, pastor, I never try to control God. I submit and surrender to him and everything. Do you? Or just when you're aware of the circumstance? 
You see, I think sometimes we kind of step into these situations without really even realizing it, with blindfolds on, not really realizing that we're stepping into it, and we think we've got this. We can control the situation that we're in. We've got this. Friends, we've got to stop trying to control everything. Submit and surrender to God. Go to Him more frequently with the small things in life. We don't control everything. The person, I think I've brought this up before, but a person who's modeled this to me better than anybody else is my Uncle Larry, who lives in central Pennsylvania. My Uncle Larry, brilliant guy, he prays literally about everything. And that's an exercise in humility, but it's an exercise in giving up control. I remember as a kid, it just so impressed me that Uncle Larry, needed, he lost his pocket knife, and he needed to go buy a new pocket knife. Now, a reasonable person, such as myself, would just go to the store and buy a new pocket knife. But my Uncle Larry was so submitted to God being in control, he would pray about it for, for at length. And that might seem silly to some, but guys, it's an exercise in giving up control to God. Even in this small thing. Because if we do it regularly, and it's a part of our life, we're going to be much less likely to step into situations where we're going to try to take control over. Because here's the thing, again, once we have control, the chances of us messing it up are pretty high. Surrender and submit our lives to God. Again, this is one of the main points here in this text. Man makes a mess for himself. And we need to learn to trust that His ways, God's ways, are better than our ways. Many of you know this verse very well, this section of text, Proverbs 3, 5-8. through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Guys, if we would just go ahead and memorize that text and then repeat it every single morning and make it part of who we are and how we function as people, we are going to, we're going to save ourselves from so many disasters that we make. But here's the problem. We tend to live our lives like the text says this. Trust in yourself with all your heart. And don't listen to the criticism of, of others. In all your ways, acknowledge that your heart knows best, and you will make your path straight. Now, that sounds ridiculous, but guys, I got to tell you, myself included, we live like that. We live like that far too often. We live like we're making the same mistake over and over that Adam and Eve made. We live like we're making that same mistake that they made in Babel, that we can do this without God. We've got this. We can take care of ourselves. And it leads to destruction. Again, I want you to think about this this morning. In what way are you currently making that same mistake? We need to have some reflection. In what way are you currently making that same mistake? Is it in a relationship that you're in? That you're trying to control? For some of you, the answer is yes, that is true. Is, is it about your job? Is it about your financial situation? That you've got this, that you're going to control it? For some of you, yes, that is the case. Surrender those things to God. Allow Him to be in control 
of your lives and save yourself the disaster that will come. I want you to ask yourselves the following three questions as we talk about this this morning. The first one is this. When we're thinking about a circumstance, we're thinking about a circumstance specifically, ask yourself this, is it mine to control? Is it mine to control? James 4, 13 and 14 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Boy, that last part of the text, the older we get, the more that we realize how true that is, don't we? Just like a mist. How many of you feel like you were in high school like two days ago? It's so quick. And as you look back on your life that you've lived up to this point, those things that you thought you controlled, how many of them did you actually control? Then why do we still look at problems and situations now in our lives and think, I've got it. This time I've got it. I've made a mess of it for the last 30, 40, 50 years, but now I've got it. Let go of the control. It's not yours to control. The people in Babel, they tried controlling something that was never theirs to begin with. God will provide a way. God will provide a way. Again, what are we currently trying to control in our lives that isn't ours to control? The next question is this. It's more for reflection. It really is apart from our text. So this is kind of a bonus question if you would. And that is this. Is it worth my concern? Because here's the thing. I I know a lot of you are really anxious about things and and you're worried and and all those other things. Ask yourself, is it even worth the concern? If, If it were here today and gone tomorrow, is this present trouble, is this present circumstance even worth my concern? Again, it's a practical question. You know, we learn uh, about what we should be concerned with from, from Mary and Martha, Luke 10, 41 and 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Guys, we, we often we worry about the wrong stuff. So many of the things that keep you up at night shouldn't. It's not worth your concern. And if it concerns you, It's not under your control. Give it to God. Give it to God. Now, there are things that you need to go and take care of personally. Just like Noah last week, God didn't say, hey, there's a flood coming, and I'm going to give you a boat. Get on it. No, he says, you're going to have to build this thing. you you got a part to do in this as well. And it's a privilege for us when God gives us those kind of directions. But there are things that we have to do. Do you have a conflict with a brother and sister in Christ that you've just been letting fester? They don't even know you're upset with them, but in your heart of hearts, it, 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 it's bothering you? You know, you might say, well, I'm going to pray and give that to God. That's good, but then go talk to your brother or sister. There are things that are worth our concern. There are things that we need to control and we need to take part in. But unfortunately, we think we control things that we never had control of to begin with. Our job is to submit and to follow God. That is our job. And our third question here is this. Is it for God alone to deal with? Is it for God alone to deal with? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what happens when we recognize that we're not in control, and we push it to God and say, God, you've got this. The anxiousness that we were carrying is replaced by God's peace because he's got this. He's got this. He's in control. He's in control. There are people, listen, that are in this room, that are watching online, that are like, you know what, I can, I can get there, I understand, but I'm facing something big and something really heavy. I don't know that I'm going to live. I've been diagnosed with cancer or some other disease. My spouse has left me and said they aren't returning. I just got fired from my job and I don't know where I'm going to go tomorrow. So I, I get it. I get what you're saying, Pastor, about letting God control. But right now, my life is a mess. I don't know. We're in crisis mode right now. I don't know what to do. Friends, if ever there was a time to push that control to where it belongs is to, to in God's lap, it's now. In those moments of crisis, which, by the way, we will all face. If you're not currently in crisis, you will someday face a crisis. I'm sorry to report. And because of that, right now, if things are going good, exercise those muscles of letting God be in control of those quote-unquote small things. Because when that crisis comes, it's going to be easier than to say, God, you've got this, and I trust you. You've got this, and I trust you. Friends, that's where we need to be. Much of what causes us anxiety in our lives isn't ours to carry to begin with. It's not even ours to carry. Some of you are thinking, man, how do I change my spouse right now? Not you though, right Kelly? How do I change my, my spouse? The right question would be, can God change my spouse? Or maybe even a better question is, how does God need to change me? Can I, can I heal my loved one that's sick? I wish I could do something. I wish there was some sort of medication or something. Listen, I, I'm not anti-medication, by the way. If you've got it, use it, <laughs> right? The question should be, can God heal my loved one? And what does healing really even look like is a follow-up question. Can I control my future? Of course not. Can God control the future? Of course the people in our text tried to accomplish what only God could accomplish. He wanted them to depend on Him and make His name great. Not to depend on their own ingenuity and their, their unity to make their own name great. So by God's grace, He moved them. He dispersed them. And He brought in, and made them speak different languages. He confused their language. And this is our third and final point, and it's this. God has a plan for redemption, and He's always had a plan. He didn't need the people in Babel to take care of it on their own. He's got a plan. It's a good plan. Acts 2, 23 and 24. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is God's plan for redemption of the world. This is God's plan for you in your life. And that is his son, Jesus. He gives us a reversal of Babel, also in Acts, where Jesus unifies languages so that people can all hear the gospel in their own language. And it's a reversal of what happened at Babel. Acts 2, 5 and 6. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Friends, we get a little peek of what it's going to be like in heaven, as people from every corner of the earth are gathered and singing praises to God together in unity. And it's going to be amazing. This wasn't done by human achievement, nor could it ever have been. It wasn't done by the way of man and his ingenuity, but it was done by God for man's redemption. God's name needs to be great. While the people in Babel were seeking to build their way to God, God sent His Son to build a bridge to humanity. He sent His Son to build a bridge to humanity. Unity worth having comes only through Christ, by the way. To answer the question I started with, isn't unity good? Yes, unity is good just so long as it comes through Christ and Christ alone. 2 Corinthians 13.11 Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. These things come through Christ and Christ alone. Redemption comes through Christ alone. Ephesians 1, 7-10 In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Through Christ alone. Through Christ alone. Access to God, it comes through Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 18 and 19. For through Him we have both the access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We gain access to the throne room of God through Christ our Savior. God has done great things. And when we just surrender our will to Him, when we just surrender our circumstances to Him, we are going to be so much better off than when we try to control it ourselves. I'm going to ask the band to come forward as we uh, conclude. Friends, God has clearly given us a way to move forward as humanity. We are to trust in Him and not ourselves. We are trusting His ways and not our own ways. I want you to, to, to really consider some questions before you leave or even as you go through this day and this week. What do you need to give up to God today? What circumstance is keeping you up at night that you think you can control but you can't? And you need to give it to God today. What are you trying to take care of on your own that is for God to be taken care of? Is it a relationship that you're in? That you've been trying to control? Give it to God. Is it a financial situation? Listen, God has spoken about how we should handle our finances. Are you trying to do it your own way and wondering why it's not working? Surrender and submit even your finances to God. Maybe some of you are trusting yourselves with your salvation. Making that same mistake that Adam and Eve and the people of Babel made thinking you know better than God and you have a better way, or that maybe you don't need Him. Friends, even you and all of us, one day we're going to bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
There is no other way to God than through Jesus Christ. He made the way through the shed blood of His Son for you. Let go. Give God control of your life. Start this morning with new life in Him. We're going to pray and then we're going to have another song of worship. God, we just thank You for Your Word. And God, as we, re- as we read through this Old Testament, these Old Testament passages, it's like a mirror in our, to our soul. It's easy for us to look and point and say, wow, they really messed it up. And then when we reflect, we realize that even with the indwelling and power of Your Spirit, we still tend to mess things up. God, for those in this room that are dealing with heavy things right now, maybe a diagnosis, maybe a loss of a job or a loss of a loved one, relational problems, those heavy things, God, may, them, may they give them to you right now. God, for those in this room or watching online that, that are trusting in their, their own wisdom and intellect for, for eternity, God, let them submit that and surrender that to you right now, accepting that you have given us a path for redemption and restoration, and it came through Jesus, your Son and our Savior. For those of us, God, that are spared crisis moments right now in our lives, help us to exercise those uh, muscles of letting go of control of things in our lives and trusting in you as you know better, as you are a Abba Father, a good Father. You are Daddy Father. You love your children. You know the hairs on our head. You know our yesterdays, our todays, and tomorrows. Help us to trust and surrender to you on a daily basis. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.